Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you for that welcome. It is uh, great to see you, whether you are here, whether you are watching online. Great to uh, be with you today. Um, we're continuing with our Does God Care series, and today, asking the more specific question, uh, Does God Care About our relationships. And as with the rest of the series, we'll be uh, beginning by looking at the early chapters of Genesis, and today particularly Genesis chapter 2, for our answers to that question. Um, One of the most uh, cherished gifts I received in my childhood uh, wasn't actually intended as a gift for me in the first place. Uh, It was uh, one of the early home computers, a a, a Sinclair ZX Spectrum Plus 3. it was originally, um, young people, you'll learn about these in history class one day, I'm sorry. It was, it was originally uh, given as a, a gift to my older sister, Claire, but in time, I showed the more interest in it, and so uh, Claire very generously gifted it on to me. Um, we lived in Stanford at the time. We bought it a second hand off uh, a boy in the town, and um, he'd uh, amassed about uh, 30 uh, floppy disks, if anyone remembers those, um, and uh, on those floppy disks, they had more than one game on each disk, and uh, they, they went in this absolute perfect fit. It was obviously meant to be in this disused uh, coffee cup box that my, uh, my parents had. And um, that coffee cup box with those games in was just an absolute treasure trove to me. Um, some of the games were just like easy ones that you could jump straight into and uh, really enjoy. Others were bit more difficult, but if you uh, made the effort, it could be very rewarding. And then there were others that, to be honest with you, I couldn't make head nor tail of and really were just something of a, a source of uh, frustration. Uh, well, a few years ago, long after the spectrum had gone kaput, um, I got a real pang of nostalgia and I really wanted to play these games. And so my wife, Becky, helped me out. She, uh, she bought me uh, for one of my birthdays, um, a Spectrum Plus 3 on eBay. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't work terribly well, perhaps unsurprisingly, since it's a, a computer from the 1980s. Uh, and so it actually ended up in the shed. Um, although if you see Becky, don't get into that too much. I think her intention was that it would end up at the tip. But anyway, um, all was not lost because I found this uh, piece of software called an emulator that I could just download for my normal PC at home, and it would emulate the Spectrum. That is, you could basically play Spectrum games on my normal PC. What's more, every Spectrum game, just about over a 1,000 of them, are all available for free online. Now, as you know, I don't spend all my time playing computer games. I'm a a very serious person who's uh, studying his Bible when not reading the classics. So, you know, I wasn't (laughs) playing these games all the time. But when I did get the chance to play them, it was a wonderful experience. It really was like uh, stepping back into my childhood. And what made it even better, particularly during lockdown, is I could sit there and play them with my uh, eldest son, Jack, who was four or five at the time. And so I could show him the games Daddy used to play when he was younger. And we had a particular favorite, a game called The Great Escape, uh, based on the movie about the Second World War, uh, Prisoner of War Camp, The Great Escape. Just in case you're worried, is that appropriate for a four or a five-year-old? This is a spectrum. You're basically watching a couple of dots walk around the screen, okay? It's not a, it's not a very realistic representation of the horrors of war. Um, and we greatly enjoyed that game, and we nearly completed it, but Becky keeps calling us down for uh, dinner and things like that, so we have to, you can't save games on the spectrum, I'm afraid, that's just the way it is. That has led to a few childish tantrums, uh, but Jack has just made me calm down. Um, <laughs> but one of the funny things about that, the, the Great Escape game in particular, is that was one of those games that I could not make head nor tail of back in the day. 
because we'd got it second hand and the boy had thrown out all the original game box and stuff, I never had any instructions. But bonus now is that actually in an idle moment, somebody has scanned all of the instruction manuals of the Spectrum that go along with those games onto the internet. So I now have access to them. And therefore, what we could do is play that game because all of a sudden it made sense because we could go back to the mind of the creator, see the original purpose of the creator for the game, see the design of the designer, and all of a sudden the game makes sense and we can make the best use of it. You know, it strikes me that human relationships or relationships in general are a lot like that box of games. They are a treasure trove. They are packed with potential. There are some that are really easy, you can just jump straight into and enjoy. There are others that are more difficult, but put the effort in and you can reap a great reward. And there are others you just can't make head nor tail of. But what we want to do today is we want to go to the creator's instructions. We want to go right back to the beginning. We're going to start with the uh, second chapter of Genesis. You can't go much further back than that. And we're going to look into the mind of the creator, see what his purpose and intention for uh, relationships uh, was and is. See the design of the designer so that we can do, just as Jack and I did with that computer game, find out the original intention that we might be able to make the most of our relationships today. Might be as I talk now, there are relationships springing to mind, friendships, romantic relationships, work relationships, church relationships, whatever it may be. Maybe some of them fall into the easy category, others difficult, others you can't make head nor tail of. I pray as we look at the maker's instructions, get back to the design of the designer today, that God will help us to make the most of our relationships, that we'll see the design of the, di design of the designer so that we can put some of those things right and make the most. And we're gonna do that by looking at three different areas of relationship that the Lord cares about. And we're gonna begin, number one, uh, with community. Number one then, God cares about community. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the very first thing in the Bible that the Lord says is not good, has anybody ever noticed what it is? We, we, we see in chapter one with the creation account, this refrain that keeps coming, it was good, uh, six times, and then one time it was very good. And then the very first time the Lord proclaims that something is not good, we read this in Genesis, Genesis uh, 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. In other words, what God is not saying is, oh no, I've messed up creation. But rather, my intention with creation had always been that we wouldn't just stop with the creation of Adam. That actually no man is an island. It's not good for him to be alone and therefore we're going to create more human beings. Therefore the Lord is going to create because the Lord's intention is that we were created for relationship. That we were created for community. And you know, if it stayed like that, that's probably just what would have happened. You'd have had human beings in relationship with each other, a great community, and in relationship with the Lord. But as you probably know, if you've read on in your Bible, it doesn't stay like that. What we see straight away in Genesis chapter 3 is the fall of humankind. Human beings turning their back on God and the whole of the earth being turned over to a curse, including human relationships. If you follow that through, you see it right from Genesis 3 up to Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel story, which is kind of like the nadir, if you like, where actually there's total factions and breakdown of human relationships and split-ups and so on. And what does God do? Just leave it at that? Absolutely not. In Genesis chapter 12, what we see is God bringing to, uh, putting right what went wrong in chapter 3, 
bringing a blessing to that curse that came in chapter 3 by reaching down to a man named Abraham, who we now know as Abraham, and saying to Abraham, you're going to be part of my plan for putting the world right. I'm going to give you a community. I'm going to give you innumerable, countless descendants, a people, a nation, a community. And I'm going to bless that community, and I'm going to bless that community to be a blessing to other communities. In other words, if we look at what community means to God, it's not the same as what perhaps we might think, just a bunch of like-minded people getting together over a common interest. No, for God, community is designed into the system. We're designed for community. Community is the vessel on which he wants to pour out his blessing, and it's the vessel from which we want to pour blessing out to others. And here's the amazing news. We are part of that community. You might say, well, no, I'm not. I'm not a child of Abraham, but we are. Because one of Abraham's descendants was Jesus Christ. He, if you like, summed up the whole of Abraham's descendants, the whole of Abraham's uh, community. He was the true representative. He is the one that took the curse upon himself on the cross so that we might have the blessing. It literally says that in Galatians chapter 3. It says, Christ became a curse. You know why? So that the blessings of Abraham might be shared with the Gentiles too. In other words, the church, this community that God wants to bless to be a blessing, has been in the design of the designer all along. We are children of that promise. And what a beautiful community it is. Absolutely nobody is rejected from this community. Anyone who wants to come to Christ, we belong to this wonderful community. It says in Galatians 3, 28 and 29, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So community is not just a bunch of people getting together over a common interest. As far as God is concerned, if we get back to the design of the designer, community is something that we were designed for in the first place, a place where God pours out his blessings so that that community might be a blessing to other communities. Given that is the original design of the designer and the purpose of him, I have a question for you. Are you sowing into community as much as you possibly can? I'm not just asking you that question, I've been asking myself that question as well. You know, we have three kids, one of them very young. It, has, it comes with its difficulties. But nevertheless, I've been thinking to myself, is the more that I can do? You know, things that I used to do back down in the church are the things that I can take up. I'm not going to make any big pledges from the church, just in case people hold them to them, because three kids is a reasonably good excuse. But nevertheless, there is definitely more I could be doing in terms of community. And is it the same for you? And I'm not beating myself up over that. I'm encouraging myself to get back under the blessing and being a blessing for others. And we're encouraging you to the same. You know, when we do a drive for life group membership, when we do a drive for serving in church, we're saying, come and be part of the designer's design, the community. Come and get blessed. Come and be part of the blessing to other communities. So are the things you can get signed up to, are the things coming now in your heart, or people you need to call? If that's the church community, though, what about the wider community? How much are you sowing into that? Why did God bless the people of God? Why does he promise to do that and continue to do that? Not just so that we get blessed, although that's a great enjoyment, but we're blessed to be a blessing. So are there other friendships, work relationships that you can bless, that you can reach out to? You can reach out to those communities to bring them into this glorious community. I love the way God first explains to Abraham how he's going to give him his people, his nation, his community. Remember what he does? He takes him out on a, a dark night 
And it shows them one of the most beautiful sights you can see in all of creation. And that is the starry sky. You know, you ever been out to a campsite or something where you're far away from the artificial lights and you see them as the ancient people would? It is a glorious sight. And he says, look at that, Abraham. So shall your descendants be. But it's something of a picture, isn't it? You know, there's a reason I think God didn't take him down to when the tide was out and say, look at all those rats. You know, you can't count them on social. No, he's saying you will be like stars. You will shine. You will be, as Isaiah says later on, a light to the nations. And that's what we're called to be. We are blessed. We receive the light of Christ so that we can let our light shine to others. Do you know one way we can do that this Christmas is with these. It's as simple as that. Just so happens to be, fixing my point, I didn't tell them this, uh, see the lights as our theme this year. But we can grab these invitations, we can hand them out to people. And do you know what we're doing? We're saying, come join our community, come and be part of the blessing. And we're being that vessel, we are honoring the designer's design and being the community we're intended to be, not turned in on ourselves, but looking at us, letting our light shine to others. So I implore you, grab these. Don't say people's known for them. Invite as many people as you can so we might get as many people as possible to come back and enjoy community. Perhaps you've fallen out with community. Perhaps you've fallen out of community because you've fallen out with somebody. Can I say, if that's the case, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world if you fall out with people on a school committee or something like that. But I think generally speaking as Christians, we want to be people, even the workplace, that get on well with people and maintain those relationships. But especially in the church. If you've broken community because of something that's happened, I know it may be something difficult and painful, but can I urge you to forgive that person and get yourself, it doesn't necessarily be, have to be the same life group or whatever, you don't have to be best mates with everyone you forgive, but it does mean that we forgive them. It does mean that we do that and get back into community. Maybe again, somebody comes into your heart as I say that. We'll have time to pray at the end that we might take away that pain, be able to forgive them and bring the blessing, which was God's intention. So that's the first thing. God cares about community. The second area of relationships is this. Number two, God cares about marriage. God cares about marriage. I love the next scene. God um, decides that when he's going to create, he's going to create, as Adam is male, there's a givenness to maleness, a creative thing to maleness and to femaleness, if I can put it like that. What God is, is doing is creating females for Adam. He's looking for a suitable helper, it says. Now, that does not mean helper, a subordinate. You know, God is often um, uh, described as a helper. What it means is uh, a mate that matches. And the way he shows that there's no match available yet is quite humorous, if you ask me. He brings all the animals that have been created and kind of parades them in front of Adam, almost sort of saying, no, these won't do. A very depressing version of speed dating. <laughs> and then what we find is what we read next. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And so what we see here is the very first operation by anesthetic. God puts Adam to sleep, takes from his rib, and I think that's something of a picture of saying, okay, I'm creating something separate here, but actually there's a oneness there as well, and creates Eve for him. 
And we see Adam's reaction. This is the first poem we read in the Bible. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He's excited, as you can imagine. If you were perhaps watching the first parade of animals go by and then you see a woman for the first time, you probably would be excited, gents, I imagine. And what God is giving us then here is a picture to say, actually, females and males, I mean, it's fairly obvious anyway, perhaps we don't need a picture, are designed to fit together in marriage. He's not saying for a moment that if you're not married and you never get married, that your life is somehow incomplete. That is not the case. We look at the rest of Scripture and actually we see that the Scriptures, and therefore God, has a very high view of singleness. We see the Apostle Paul, particularly in 1 Corinthians 7 or thereabouts, is basically seemingly convincing everybody to stay uh, single. don't think he really means that, but it's a high view. And if you want the knockdown argument on this, who is the author and perfecter of our faith? It is Christ himself, and he was single his whole life. You can live a fulfilled life as a single person. And if you're single and thinking, you're incomplete until you get married. Can I say that's really unhealthy and not biblical? We can live as single people a healthy and complete life. But nevertheless, marriage is still a gift and it is a good thing. And here we see that God cares about it because he designed us to fit together this way. What's more, not only did he design it, he also, in his description of it, in verse 24, gives us how it should be. He gives us three essential components of what marriage should look like. That is why a man leaves his father, number one, and mother, and is united to his wife, number two, and they become one flesh, number three. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So he tells us, we go back to the design of the designer, exactly what marriage should look like. We are called to leave, to cleave, and to weave, okay? Those rhyme, you will notice. I will explain them along the way if they need to be. So the first thing then, if we're going to honor the design of the designer, is we need to leave. A man should leave his father and mother. Elsewhere in the Psalms, it says the same thing for the wife as well. What is this? Well, it's a picture of sacrifice for one thing, cutting the apron strings to a degree, and establishing a new family unit, a new center of uh, relationship, a new center of um, priority and of faithfulness and so on. It does not mean for a moment that we no longer honor our mother and father. That's not true at all. Uh, the Bible, again, the rest of the Bible makes very clear that we're absolutely supposed to do that. And an extra blessing of getting married is you get in-laws on top. So you get another mum and dad. You might say, Tom, are you only saying that because your in-laws are visiting this weekend? Absolutely not. I mean, from the bottom of my heart. While we must honour them, though, we do have to establish this new family unit, start making our own traditions, start having our own priorities. Again, cut those apron strings. It means we can take the best of what we've learned from previous generations, from fathers and mothers and so on, but we can start making our own as well, making our own way and honouring our partner above all else. As it tells us in um, the others, uh, other places in Genesis that Adam and Eve were to be fruitful and multiply, it's also the establishment of the place where children should be born. It doesn't always happen, but nevertheless, that's what God designed it to be, or part of God's design, we should say there. So the first thing we are called to leave, to set up then, a new priority of uh, responsibility, a new family unit. Secondly, to cleave. That's uh, the older versions, the King James, etc. that translation to cleave, to bring things, two things together, of the united part. Now, when I looked in all the commentaries for this, just about all of them said that this is about covenant language, the covenant nature of marriage. That is that unlike the kind of Hollywood view of marriage, if you like, 
that marriage is this kind of flimsy contract to say, okay, well, we too as very enlightened individualistic people are going to tie the knot for a bit, at least as long as we stay with those red-hot feelings of being in love with each other. That's not biblical marriage. Biblical marriage is a covenant, a solemn agreement, a promise from one person to the other before God and before the community that we will stay together through thick and thin. It is not simply about we'll stay together while the feelings are there. It is about faithfulness to the other person, to the Lord, and to the vows that we made. Now, I'm not saying this to cause any pain to any of you who have been through uh, divorce. You know, I do think about these things when I'm preaching. The last thing I want to do is cause anybody any pain. So, again, if that's causing you pain right now, um, there's no judgment or anything like that coming on these things. I'm talking to the people who are married right now, and perhaps you're going through a difficult time. But as marriage is a covenant, remember, we have made certain vows to be faithful to that person. I mean, we literally say, don't we, uh, for better, for worse in the marriage vows. But very often when marriage is worse than we expected, people think about giving up. But actually covenant is there to help us. It is not a ball and chain, but rather what covenant is, it gives you a firm foundation. So you say, right, from that point, we are not going to break up. We're going to stick through this. We are going to work out our problems. So we are called to leave. We are called to cleave, to come together in covenant relationship. And thirdly, we are called to weave. If we're going to honour the design of the designer, it says they are united in one flesh. This is a picture then of intimacy. It includes making love, but it means intimacy in general as well as a sort of central picture of that, closeness between a husband and his wife. You know, when you first get together, once you get to know each other, intimacy just kind of happens. You know, it's very easy to be close to each other. But sadly, it can start to drift a little bit over time. Why is that? Probably because we start taking each other for granted. I thought this was quite funny from Prince Philip. When a man opens a car door for his wife, it is either a new car or a new wife. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's quite sad, though, isn't it? Because we know what he's getting at. Now, Prince Philip was obviously married to Her Majesty the Queen for many, many years. So I'm sure he knew better than just, you know, to, to, to take that at face value. But what he's saying is, over time, those lovely things we do for each other can sometimes die out and die off. We can stop making the effort. I'm sure he would have agreed with Tom Mullen, who said this. Happy marriages begin when we marry the ones we love. And they blossom when we love the ones we marry. See, I love that because the first bit is almost like talking about what we think of when we talk about love, you know, the passion and the feeling where intimacy is just there. The second one is highlighting that love sometimes is a decision and you actually have to make the effort to keep that going, to make that decision that you will love that person and so on. I think we can avoid this by avoiding taking people for granted. You know, when I think about my wife, uh, Becky, you know, we're a normal married couple like everybody else. We sometimes drive each other nuts. I'm sure I cause her more problems than uh, she causes me. But when I think about her, and I really think about her as a gift from God, if I'm honest, I can't believe how great she is. I can't believe that I'm married to somebody like that. When I think of her in that way, when I'm grateful for her, it's so easy to make those decisions and build that intimacy throughout. 
Um, Philip, uh, Philip, uh, Nikki and Scylla Lee, uh, who were the people who look after the, the marriage course, some of you uh, may have been on. They, um, they've led the marriage course in many um, courses in many different countries. It's translated into over like 40, 50 languages now and so on. They've done hundreds of these. They've literally written the book on marriage. They were asked once in an interview, if you could give one practical tip on marriage, what would it be? And you know what they said? These people who've literally written the book on it, they said, keep a date night once a week. I mean, it's such a simple thing, but it makes so much sense, doesn't it? You know, it's really easy over a time, isn't it, with the busyness of, uh, of modern life to drift from each other. But if you can prioritize intimacy, make that commitment that you will um, look after each other, that you will make time for each other, that you will seek to make closeness and prioritize intimacy with each other, it's going to make all the difference. So we must prioritize intimacy. And not just romantic intimacy and date nights and so on, but making love as well. Sex is not something we should be embarrassed about. Sex is something which the Bible, again, sex within marriage, has an incredibly high view of. God created sex for man and wife in marriage. That's what it's for. It's baked into the system. If you like, if it's a cake, it's not the cherry on the top. It's baked in. It's part of it. It's an important part of it. The Apostle Paul said this, Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent, and for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, it doesn't mean that you can demand sex off your partner, um, and if they don't give it to you, say, well, why should I have any self-control? That's not what Paul's saying at all. Paul is very much talking about this being a mutual thing between the two of you. What Paul is basically saying is, use common sense and prioritize this. It's a gift given from God. How do you feel when you give someone a gift and they never use it or they misuse it? Make sure we use that gift. You know, it might not seem the biggest deal, but actually couples that don't uh, have sex together, it can lead to a lot of problems. Uh, it's said that when couples aren't having sex, sex becomes 90% of the marriage. In other words, it's a big issue. Whereas when they are, it's 10% of the marriage, you know, and you can get on with all sorts of other stuff that's fun as well. And so, again, let's prioritize intimacy. Let's honor the designer's design. The second thing, we need to protect intimacy if we are going to weave together. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. He's saying we need to bring protection to this intimacy, not break it through things like watching things, certain TV shows or pornography or having full-blown affairs, but also just protect around certain romantic entanglements or, you know, flirting at work or whatever it may be. It's a difficult one, this, because, you know, we don't want to be weirdos as Christians who can't be friends with people of the opposite sex. But at the same time, we just have to apply common sense and just see how much danger those kind of friendships can build into. We've got to protect against that if we are going to honour the designer's design. So God cares about community, God cares about marriage, and third and finally, area of relationship that the Lord cares about, God cares about you. God cares about having a relationship with you. He did not just create Adam and Eve so they could have children and they could have children and they could have children so that human beings could have a great time together. God created you for relationship. There's a, a, another sort of creation myth around called, um, I think it's the god Marduk. You know, he created human beings, apparently, to have them as slaves. The book of Genesis is written to show what happened, but also as a polemic against those things, certainly the real God created you for relationship. 
And this relationship is pointed to in these chapter, this chapter that we've been looking at. Because actually every time we talk about the intimacy of a man and a wife in marriage, it is pointing to something much greater in Scripture. The Apostle Paul says as much in Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, this is a profound mystery. He's talking about man and wife in marriage, or so we would think, but I am talking about Christ and the church. And so that picture of a man and a woman in intimacy is actually a picture of the intimacy of that much greater relationship, Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. And we actually see this right at the end of the scriptures. We see this wonderful vision that John, a friend of Jesus who wrote the book of Revelation, gets. He's taken by an angel in the spirit to see this particular vision. And it's the final consummation, if you like, of Christ and the new Jerusalem, which is a representation of the church of Jesus Christ, his bride coming together. So what we see is anytime we talk about the, the, the true relationship, the ultimate relationship is our relationship with God. Can I say, this side of eternity, any human relationship, there was always a potential for upset and for pain. We have two choices. Either we live with that or we become recluses. Okay. And we can't do this one because we're designed for relationship. But what we can do is enter into that third relationship, the one with the Lord. And then we're in relationship with someone who will never let us down, who will never hurt us, and will give us the blessing and the potential to get over any of those relational hurts. <clears throat> and let's take a look at John's vision when he saw this final coming together as Christ and his bride. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. This is the angel speaking. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, from God. This is God presenting the church, the bride, for Jesus, the groom. And what will it be like? Well, we know the ending to this marriage. We know what the relationship between Christ and his church is. It really is that fairy tale ending of the living happily ever after. And we really do mean forever. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older order of things has passed away. And so the ultimate relationship, he built us uh, as a community who wants to bless us as a community. He shows that picture of marriage as an intimate relationship, but that points to this even greater intimate relationship, a relationship with him where he will heal all human relationship hurts. One day we will go to him and we will feel the real blessing, the greatest blessing of all, and that is to be in relationship with Christ forever. In Jesus' mighty name. Lord, we thank you for relationship. Thank you that you created us this way, that you created us for community, that you created marriage, that we might enjoy that intimacy, Lord. And Lord, we thank you that you created us for relationship with you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen. Now, I'd love it if you could stand and we'll um, share a moment of response together. And remember what we're talking about here then, a God who wants relationship with us and wants to bless us. If you've never enjoyed that blessing, if you've never come into relationship with God, as you've never come to know Christ as your saviour, you've never come to know God as your father, I'd love the opportunity to pray for you right now. Or perhaps you were once, you've been away from the Lord and you'd like to come back to him. Well, if that is you, with every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, I'd love you just to put up your hand right now so that I can see who I'm gonna be praying for and give you that opportunity 
to come to know the Lord Jesus for the first time. So if that is you, if you want to come to know Jesus in that relationship or you want to come back to him, if you can just pop up your hand right now, just so I know who I'm going to be praying for, that would be wonderful. Thank you. See at the back there and over side here. That's fantastic. Thank you. And thank you over here. Okay. The lights are tricky here. I can see lots of hands going up. Can't see everybody though, but God can see you all. What I want to do is I want to pray a prayer, a phrase at a time. And if you'll copy me in this, if you'll repeat this, but mean it from the bottom of your heart, then this very day you'll come to know Jesus and that relationship. Heavenly Father. Oh, sorry, church. Yeah, if you can join in. Some people know the, know the, uh, know the way as well. <laughs> uh, if you can join in along with us, that would really help people not feel all by themselves. So Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me and that you made me for relationship. Come into my life right now. Forgive me for my sins and give me a fresh start. And come to build that relationship with me right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we just give them a clap? We just want to honour you in making that decision. If you've made that decision today, you will not regret it. There'll be some instructions in the end if you want some other steps to come and speak to somebody at the end, but you will not regret that decision. For the rest of us, or all of us now, those who are in the community of Christ, by way of response, what I want us to do is sing in just a moment. Remember what we're talking about, a God who wants to bless us and bless us to be a blessing. But I've also touched on some difficult things today and it may be that you need healing. What I want you to do is as we sing this song, to sing the words, but also let them wash over you. And it may be that you need healing when it comes to community because you need to forgive somebody or need forgiveness. It may be the marriage thing. Maybe marriage is a sad word for you, maybe because of relational pain through divorce or bereavement, or perhaps you're single and wanted to be married and it's never happened. Well, I want this blessing to wash over you. So as we sing, why don't we just remember that glorious God who built us to be in relationship with each other and wants to bless us and wants to bless us to be a blessing. So let's sing to Him. <laughs>